This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Officially, it's summer, and as New Yorkers dig in for a long wait to find out who the next mayor is, so far it looks like it'll be uh, semi-New Jersey and Eric Adams. Uh, the results of the June 8th New Jersey primary election, they were certified this week. There was no surprises as we begin the path to what will be 129 days away from today, the general election. Governor Phil Murphy is trying to become the first Democrat in 44 years to win a second term. He will join me at 17 minutes after the hour to talk about why he thinks he deserves a second term and and what he will do if voters give him another four years in office. You won't want to miss hearing what Governor Murphy has to say Later, 4.35, I will speak with Leroy Jones, the newly elected New Jersey Democratic State Chairman. We're going to talk about the 2021 campaign, the races that will come up this year and over the next few years. And earlier this week, uh, a new poll released by Fairleigh Dickinson University showed Phil Murphy with a 15-point lead over Republican Jack Chitterelli. Most voters... About seven out of ten of them, uh, they either aren't familiar with Chitterelli or they haven't heard of him. Uh, the poll shows that just three weeks after the primary, except for a few big mouths on social media that talk to each other, uh, Republicans have largely united behind Chitterelli. There's, there's no sign that Chitterelli has any discernible problems with his base. Uh, Fifteen points is a solid lead, but make no mistake – This is still a race, especially since voters haven't really gotten to know Chitterelli. And and I question, unfortunately, whether voters will really ever get the chance to know all the candidates. People people don't buy newspapers. The the daily newspaper websites, they don't cover the campaign as much as they do pizza and hamburgers and the real housewives of New Jersey. So I'm not sure how people will get to compare the two candidates other than here – their canned TV ads or, or their digital ads, that is that is up to the candidates. Despite the voter registration edge, and there's a, a million more Democrats than Republicans living in New Jersey, uh, a state that still frequently seems to prefer to have a Republican governor. And, and, and despite that, Democrats haven't reelected a governor since 1977. Uh, this election may be fairly simple. Governor Murphy's job is to keep people thinking that he's a good governor. And Jack Chitterelli needs to change the minds of New Jerseyans. There's not a a lot of rocket science to that. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe broke a story on Friday that's going to leave you scratching your head, but at at the same time, if, if you follow New Jersey, relatively unsurprised. So get this. New Jersey Transit, that's the beleaguered agency that runs buses and trains, often with enormous difficulty. New Jersey Transit hired a guy who's currently under indictment for taking kickbacks and rigging bids. In 2020, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance announced that he had indicted James Berlingero, alleging that he took more than $70,000 in kickbacks while working as a procurement officer at the MTA. 
Now, at a work, Berlingaro looked to Aerotech. It's a private staffing and recruiting firm to help him find a job. Now, this is this is amazing. Aerotech placed this man accused of rigging bids and taking kickbacks at New Jersey Transit. New Jersey Transit told me that Aerotech's background check didn't turn anything up. Uh, they did acknowledge that they interviewed him. I'm not sure why they didn't ask him about his departure from the MTA. Uh, and let's be clear, I, I think this is a whole lot of crap. I can't imagine that an international recruiting firm whose clients rely on them to conduct background checks hadn't heard of search engines like Google because when I searched James Berlingaro, the press release announcing his indictment came right up. Aerotech hasn't answered any questions. I invited a representative of their company to come on the show uh, and talk about that hire. They politely declined. Uh, Bellingero worked at New Jersey Transit for nearly two months before they found out he was under indictment for his actions at the NTA. And, and to their credit, they fired him the same day. Now, now get this. New Jersey Transit paid Aerotech what would be about $211,000 annually to bring them Berlingero and then described him as a fairly low-level guy. It's a, it's a lot of money by, by any stretch. That's a lot of money to be paying a low-level guy. Uh, I don't know how much of that Berlingero made and how much Aerotech kept. That's between them. This might not be New Jersey Transit's fault, but I, I still want to know how they hired someone based on trusting Aerotech alone, not even Googling somebody before they give him a job. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey legislature approved a new state budget this week, a $45.4 billion budget. They did it along party lines with relatively small amount of drama. Uh, some people think the process was rushed at the end. The, the vote came just minutes after the full budget was made public. Jack Chitterelli, the Republican candidate for governor, took a shot at the process. He promised to veto any bill that hadn't been in front of the public for seven days. And this is Governor Murphy's election year budget. It included a middle-class tax rebate funded by a tax on the state's biggest earners. It included Assemblyman Roy Fryman's debt defeasance plan that will pay back about $3.7 billion in debt already incurred by the state. And, and if you don't know what defeasance means, you're not alone. I had never heard the word until Assemblyman Fryman explained it to me this week. Think of it as as uh, reducing your debt by getting a couple of months ahead in your, in your mortgage payments. Governor Murphy says the budget creates a stronger and fairer New Jersey. Republicans mock part of the budget, like $24 million for a a French art center in Jersey City. Chitterelli says the budget hasn't done enough to help small businesses uh, recover from the pandemic. So at the end of the day, regular voters aren't going to care about the process as long as the government doesn't shut down, as long as some big mouth governor isn't photographed sitting in short shorts on the beach while other New Jerseyans aren't being let in. But the impact, whether New Jerseyans feel property tax relief or increased funding for education or whether the state can recover from the the multitude of impacts from the pandemic. That's what's going to make voters decide if they want Murphy or Chitterelli. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. We will be 
back with Governor Phil Murphy to talk about his campaign for re-election to a second term and about some critical issues facing the states. You will not want to miss what the governor has to say. And after that, don't miss Leroy Jones, the newly elected Democratic state chairman, to talk about this year's campaigns and about elections to come. Uh, you're listening to New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Phil Murphy is the governor of New Jersey, and he's aiming to become the first Democrat in 44 years to win re-election to a second term. Governor, welcome. Good to be with you, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And is it fair to say that this election is a referendum on you, on your record over the last four years? I think any incumbent running for re-election has to be out there telling folks what you only what you will do. You're out there uh, talking about what you have done and how you're going to build on that. Uh, and I'm incredibly proud. We talked about a stronger, fairer. New Jersey that works for everybody, not just for some. We inherited an enormous amount of challenges, underfunded schools, pension, health systems, uh, pension payments that were missed, uh, structural deficits, property tax uh, crises, etc. I think we've made an enormous amount of progress, but we still have a ways to go without question. And so I think the answer has got to be yes. Uh, People are looking at what you've done, what you've done. And also what you you lay out that you hope still to do if you have the fortunate case of being reelected. And, and Governor, your opponent Jack Chitterelli, he's, he's called you a he's called you a failed governor. He says New Jersey's gotten worse over the last four years. So how do you contrast your record with Jack Chitterelli's record? Listen, uh, the assemblyman was in Trenton for six years before I got here, so a lot of the challenges we've faced uh, and we've had to deal with since we got here were constructed or born under the Christie Chitterelli uh, period. So with all due respect to the assemblyman, um, we've been digging out of the mess that uh, was left for us uh, in part by votes that he took over a period of six years. So I would say with all due respect, I'm going to disagree dramatically. We've had three of the lowest property tax increases years on record. We finally made the full pension payment. By the way, $6.9 billion. We're fully funding public education at all-time high, public infrastructure all-time high, public health at all-time high. We have addressed and, and begun to close inequities that have uh, have been killing us for years. Minimum wage going to $15 an hour, earned sick leave, funding women's health, Planned Parenthood reforming the criminal justice system. Uh, for him to, to say that uh, is disconnected completely with reality and also disconnected to his years in Trenton when he helped uh, with Governor Christie at the time create the challenges that we inherited. Now, Assemblyman Chitterelli was, I mean, he was fairly critical of Chris Christie, uh, you know, especially, especially in the end when, when Governor Christie was running for president. Do you, do you really put him in that same lane as, as those who just went and voted yes on everything Christie asked for? Yeah, David, you got to look at the reality, man. He, he voted with Christie against funding women's health, against gun safety reforms, against raising minimum wage. 
he was with Christie on, on underfunding well, all those budgets that he voted for that underfunded pensions. Um, voted against, you know, safe staffing ratios in nursing homes alongside Governor Christie. I mean, the, the evidence is, is pretty hard. He, he may have parted company uh, here or there, but the stuff that's really been dragging our state down and, and, and driving the inequities in our state, he was right by his side. And, and I'm speaking with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, the legislature passed the state budget on Thursday. It was, it was along party lines, but it was... It was rather peacefully, and the the contrast between the last time you were a candidate, uh, a government shutdown, a a governor famously photographed sitting out on a closed beach, the the difference seems remarkable, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll tell you, this process uh, was was really, really good, and I want to give the legislative leadership, Senate President Steve Sweeney, Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin, Budget Chair Paul Sarlo, Budget Chair Ileana Pinter-Marin, especially a lot of credit. Um, you know, we presented our budget back in February, and I think the Jersey process is largely a good one. You know, we presented our budget in February. We had, I think, literally dozens of hearings of our cabinet before the Assembly or Senate. Uh, we were updating revenue projections the whole way as soon as we, as soon as we got them, and the revenues clearly had a pretty dramatic uh, difference this year than expectation. Um, yeah, I think it's gotten honestly in, in the in the years that I've been here. I think each year it has gotten uh, a little bit, if not a lot, better. Uh, and I think this one ended up in a really good place. And most importantly, David, it's a really good budget. It funds, as I said, public education all time high. Uh, it meets our obligations. You know, we inherited a lot of structural deficits. It's not just a record pension payment. It's defeasing, which is a fancy word for ultimately get reducing our indebtedness by two and a half billion dollars, avoiding other indebtedness by a billion two, um, uh, public health investments. I, I just think there's an enormous amount here that will aid our recovery, and God knows we need it because this pandemic clobbered us as a state. Uh, we're going to need everything we've got to get our state back on our feet and, 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 and to make us one of the first states in America to recover. And this budget goes a long way toward helping us do that. And, Governor, you've spoken a lot about what you've done over the last four years. But what's your plan for the second term? If, there's, if there is a second term, what's, your, what's Act 2? I think, David, several things. Number one, we need to recover as a state from this pandemic, and we're committed to that. You know, 2 million people filing for unemployment, 30% of our small businesses going uh, under losses of life now, over 26,000 blessed souls. So it's recovering from all that to the extent we can. You can never replace uh, a a loved one. But getting back on our feet, I think, is job number one. Addressing and closing the inequities, number two. This pandemic, I've said this many times, the pandemic did not create the inequities, but it has laid them bare. Uh, and I think certain, you know, there are, there are journeys that we've started that are far from complete. Uh, and I think this contrast in the election is literally between keep going forward or going backward. And what I mean even more granularly by that, it is a, a choice between not just doing work that we have not yet been able to get done. For instance, Re- Reproductive Freedom Act, as an example. But it is also an election where we risk not just what we have not yet done, but undoing what we have already done. And we cannot afford that. Uh, So I'd say 
there's a lot of uh, we've begun a lot of journeys, David, uh, and I'm proud of you know, of of the whole range of them. You know, getting adult use cannabis that you know we're we're almost there, but getting that up and running, continuing to fund public education, expand pre-K, make college more affordable and attainable, make healthcare more affordable and attainable. We've done a lot, but there's still a lot more to do. So, Governor, I want to I want to touch on the Reproductive Freedom Act that you just mentioned eight months ago, before the results of the election, presidential election were were over. Uh, you introduced the Reproductive Freedom Act. Uh, it, it was looking I guess, to codify the state's abort, abortion protections. Last month, you said you hoped it would pass in June. Uh, it's not going to. So who's to blame for that bill not moving through the legislature? I mean, David, I'd, le- I'd focus less on who's to blame than the urgency that we need to get this over the goal line, and I am committed uh, to getting that done. For folks listening who may not be as close to this, um, all of the protections that women have as it relates to reproductive freedom in New Jersey are based on case law, all of the case law of which, in turn, is based on Roe v. Wade, the, the seminal Supreme U.S. Supreme Court decision. With a Trump Supreme Court uh, and with their willingness to hear a Roe v. Wade uh, contest, uh, there is every reason to believe that that uh, foundation, if you will, is at risk. And if that goes away, all of our case law falls upon that like a house of cards. So we have to put reproductive freedom into statute, and it is urgent to do so. And I would just say the sooner we can get this done, the better. It may not be easy, but that does not mean it is not urgent and it is not needed uh, uh, immediately. And I will stay committed to that. And, and I'm speaking with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, I know I know religion's a touchy subject. Uh, a group of bishops want to deny President Biden communion because of, of his support for abortion rights. And I think this, this happened about 17 years ago in New Jersey. Governor McGreevy stopped receiving Holy Communion. Do you do you worry about the blurring of separation of church and state in the country? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 um, I'm still, frankly, trying to digest this myself. I am a Roman Catholic. Uh, that's the faith that I've been brought up in. Um, I have to say, with great respect uh, to the U.S. Uh, conclave decisions, I, I, I looked to the Pope with great hope uh, in, in his words, uh, in the sense that uh, that that there's, you know, he he hopes there's the opportunity to continue to bring folks. I think he said something: the Eucharist is for the sinners. Uh, and not the saints, and, and I and I have to say I personally have an enormous amount of sympathy with that mindset. Uh, and so we, we shall see which way this road turns. But uh, God bless us all. And, and Governor, a Monmouth University poll showed 14 percent of New Jerseyans said they will never get vaccinated if if they can avoid it. They will never get vaccinated. You're at 70 percent now, so. If the poll's right, and Patrick Murray's usually right, and the cap is at 86%, what's, what's the timeline on hitting that cap? What's the timeline of going from 70 to 86? It's a good question. And I would say, David, with nothing but great respect, I would beg people who have not, are not yet vaccinated to get vaccinated. The reasons to not get vaccinated pale in comparison to the reasons to get vaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, and that's a fact. If you look at the people who are being hospitalized, 
God forbid, uh, even further going in the IC unit or even f- more God forbidding passing. These are overwhelmingly, if not entirely, folks who are unvaccinated. I can't give you a, a day uh, or a day of the week when we get to that number, but I will say this, even though we got to the milestone that we had predicted that we would get to, and by the way, I'm incredibly proud of our vaccination program. I, I would compare it to any states in America and, and, and certainly uh, given our size, uh, uh, it's particularly notable. Uh, the, the thing I'm most proud of is the day after we achieved the objective, we were knocking on doors in 22 communities in the state uh, that are we had deemed that are large enough and under vaccinated. So I can't give you a particular date, but we're going to keep our foot on the pedal, or the, the throttle down, whatever the phrase is, uh, until we drive this damn virus into the ground and get as many people vaccinated as possible. And I'm speaking with Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey. Governor, one of the other things you've, you've expressed a lot of pride over over the last four years is is your record on appointing women to positions in state government, to, to Supreme Court judgeships. The Center for American Women in Politics released a study this week. They, sh- they showed a, a severe slowdown in the number of women serving in municipal and county office. Why, why has New Jersey become a little bit sluggish in electing women? Well, that's a good question. I've not seen the report, David, but I'm not surprised by it. This continues to be, um, you you know, and I'm, listen, guilty as charged, here I am, but this continues to be a male-dominated and even more so white uh, male-dominated reality in politics, elected politics. And I think your your question was about elected politics, am I right? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. and I just will say we got to do everything in our power to change that. We're the most diverse state in America. Um, we have extraordinary talent. Uh, I'm incredibly honored to go to work every single day alongside Sheila Oliver, who is a, an icon and, he- and a hero in this state. Um, we need to do everything we can uh, to lift up more women, lift up more persons of color, such that hopefully sooner than later our elected officials Listen, I'm proud of the fact we've got the most diverse cabinet in America and in New Jersey's history. Uh, that's the great news. Uh, but we got to make sure our elected officials have that same diversity, and they look, please God, sooner than later, uh, just like the extraordinarily diverse state that they serve. And, and Governor, Jack Cittarelli has said that you're not Jersey enough, that a, that a guy from Boston shouldn't be the governor of New Jersey. And, and and first of all, I thank Boston for the generosity in sending us Babe Ruth and Roger Clemens and Johnny Damon. That was that was very nice of <laughs> of of Boston. But 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 what do you Thanks say to putting that in there. But Yankees first, Governor. But uh yeah, absolutely but, David. But what do you say about his criticism that you're not from here? Yeah, I'd say two things. Uh first of all it's ridiculous. He's the only person who's ever raised this with me. So, you know, when I when I meet people on the street and I meet them by the tens of thousands, literally a year, sometimes depending on a holiday, we get tens of thousands in one weekend. People want to talk about jobs, health care, opportunity. Are their kids going to get a, have a better life than, than than they had? That's the reality. That's what folks are looking for. And secondly, I, I would ask the rhetorical question. Did any of us, including the assemblymen, have a choice as to where they were born? The answer to that is obviously no. Tammy and I deliberately, volitionally, I know a big word, I apologize, uh, chose New Jersey to plant the flag to raise our four kids. We did that on purpose. It's the best decision of our lives. 
Thank you. Governor Phil Murphy, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Great to be with you, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And this is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. Leroy Jones is the newly elected New Jersey Democratic State Chairman. It's, it's an honor to have him. Mr. Chairman, how are you? I'm just fine, David. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, Chairman, the New Jersey Globe reported this week that the race for governor in 2025 has already begun. Uh, Senate President Steve Sweeney and Democratic power broker George Norcross went up to Hudson County to open up a line of communication there. Is it is it too early to start the 2025 campaign? Well, I certainly think so. Uh, you know, I am uh, you know sharply focused on uh, you know where we are now. This is 2021. Uh, you know, we are about to move into the fall cycle of the campaign, and uh, you know, our Democratic uh, you know party will be you know staunchly uh, you know moving a robust campaign to reelect. Uh, our first Democratic governor in uh, since Brendan Burns. And Democrats are going to need a candidate one way or the other. Either Phil Murphy is going to be term limited or Jack Cittarelli is going to be running for re-election. Isn't it smart for someone who wants to run for governor to start lining up support? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, you know, we have to take election by election. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, how we've, uh, you know, tried to, uh, you know, to um, put together a, uh, a uh, an effective election program uh, campaign and uh, you know what other folks are doing out there uh, you know we can't allow that to deter us from the mission at hand and the mission at hand uh, you know is just real simple re-elect Bill Murphy uh, you know for 2021. Party chairs aren't household names so I want to I want to give some listeners some background on Leroy Jones you you're the Essex County Democratic chairman you were a freeholder you were an, you were an assemblyman uh do county chairmen get a bad rap when people throw out that term party boss? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's an unfair term. Uh, you know, I don't consider myself a party boss. Uh, you know, I, I try to you know consider myself a unifier. Um, you know, we try to unify um, people and voters. Uh, you know, around democratic principles and around democratic priorities. Uh, you know, that uh, you know is the mission. Um, you know, and that's how we grow our party. So, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that label bossism, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, has evolved from, uh, yesteryear, uh, you know, but as we move, uh, you know, in the current environment of 2021, and certainly, uh, you know, under my leadership, uh, there's going to be hopefully a redefining of, uh, you know, that, that notion of bossism. And I'm speaking with New Jersey Democratic State Chairman Leroy Jones. Sometimes I think, Mr. Chairman, people forget that in the 1990s, you were probably one of the leading progressive voices of the New Jersey legislature. Does it does it bother you that people forget the role that you played when you were in public office? No, uh, because I haven't forgotten it. And, uh, you know, as I, uh, you know, move about, uh, you know, my own community, uh, which is the city of East Orange, and, uh, you know, that footprint has, uh, you know, over the years has been expanded to the county of Essex and now the state of New Jersey, uh, you know, I get an opportunity to, uh, to let them know who I am. And, uh, you know, when they understand, uh, you know, what my past was, uh, you know, back in 1990, 
and uh, you know they see the progressive uh, you know ideology that I stood for. Uh, and I think uh, you know they get a you know a more more of a comfort level uh, you know with uh, knowing who Leroy Jones is. And among among many things, you you were the leading voice to stop a a system called racial profiling by by police officers. Yeah, I you know I was along with uh, you know just some uh, you know forward thinking legislators who you know who were concerned about their constituents, who were concerned about the state. You know the unfortunate thing, David, is uh, you know we're still dealing with uh, you know very uh, you know real and similar problems that we did back in 1990. Uh, you know, George Floyd, uh, you know, tragedy, uh, you know, is proof positive for that, you know, Deanna Taylor. The list goes on and on. Uh, you know, and it's sad that, uh, in 2021, you know, we're still debating, uh, you know, the issues of racial profiling and, uh, the misuse of, uh, you know, law enforcement amongst, particularly amongst the African American community. And Brand, it was yesterday, Brandon McCoy, or, or Thursday, Brandon McCoy, who, who runs New Jersey Policy Perspective, Said that that he thought systemic racism was baked into the state budget and and took some shots at the legislative leadership. Was was he fair in saying that? Uh, you know, Brandon's entitled to his opinion. Uh, you know, I you know I'm not quite sure what uh, you know specific uh, area of the budget that he was uh, honing in on. Uh, you know, I certainly love to uh, to uh, to discuss that with him. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, if there is a belief. Uh, you know, on his part, uh, given you know, given an opportunity to discuss it, hopefully we can come to a meeting of the minds and you know try to develop uh, you know as we move forward, uh, you know, something that uh, you know lessens his concern in that particular area. I'm speaking with Leroy Jones, the New Jersey Democratic State Chairman. Democrats haven't reelected a sitting governor since 1977, and it seems like a long, long time ago—44 years. You and I were both involved in politics by '77, so so we have. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure I was all engaged with it, David. Just uh, you know, coming, uh, you know, about to come out of high school and uh, you know, evol- you know, evolving in the process. But yeah, it's been a long time, and um, you know, I am glad, uh, you know, that uh, you know I have the opportunity to uh, to to make sure that Governor Governor Murphy is reelected. That we, uh, you know, elect uh, you know our legislators, um, you know, up and down uh, the state. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, increasing our, our majorities in, in, you know, in certain areas that are targeted. And, uh, you know, and with respect to, uh, you know, our county and, you know, local races, uh, you know, increasing Democratic uh, majorities and Democratic presence in, you know, in those selected areas are going to be, uh, you know, the mission that, uh, you know, we embark on in this campaign. And you are also the co-chairman of the Legislative Redistricting Commission. So in, That's in true. A, in addition to this year's election, you're going to be focusing, you know, I guess the process officially begins fairly soon. You're going to be focusing on drawing new legislative districts. What are what are your priorities over the next few months to to put together a map that you'll be happy with for the next 10 years? Well, as you know, uh, you know, we should have been, uh, you know, done with that process now. But, uh, you know, because of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the mishaps and the Washington and with the Trump administration, uh, you know, and the census, uh, you know, we're not there. Uh, you know, my priorities would, uh, you know, be to uh, to draw legislative maps that, uh, you know, preserve, uh, you know, and, you know, perhaps increase Democratic majorities. Um, you know, also making sure that uh, minority and women are, are represented in, uh, you know, the construction of those new maps. 
and uh, you know ultimately uh, you know moving over the next ten years, you know with a uh, a a map that uh, establishes a progressive agenda going forward. But aren't aren't Republicans right in saying that they are they are underrepresented in the New Jersey legislature as as well, reflecting their proportions of, of votes and registered voters? Elections don't seem to suggest that. Uh, you know, people. You know, this is becoming a uh, a very blue state. Uh, you know, you you know yourself that uh, you know there's a million more registered. Uh, you know, uh, you know Democrats out. Um, you know, registered Republicans by about a million uh, individuals, and um, you know, and you know, it's clear that uh, you know if that's the cry from the Republican Party, it's kind of uh, you know a a bail cry. And, um, you know, this is a blue state, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with blue representation. And, uh, you know, the map should, uh, you know, play that out. So when we, when we shift to congressional redistricting, which is, is going to be conducted, I guess, on a parallel path to legislative uh, later this yeah. year. Uh, right now it's a 10-2 Democratic majority. Do you think that's where New Jersey is, 10-2? Um, you know, that's the way that the people have, uh, you know, have have established it simply by the vote, and I'm only going by the vote. You know, our job is to uh, to at least maintain a 10-2 majority. Um, you know, our uh, mission, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, is going to be sharply focused on making sure that, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, flip the, um, you know, the Van Drew district, which, you know, the, you know, the guy has been a turncoat, uh, you know, and somebody that, uh, you know, our party is going to be targeting to, uh, to, you know, to send him packing, uh, you know, send him back home to uh, to Cape May County, and uh, you know, and out of the the, uh, the hall of Congress. And you have were your chairman in Essex County. Four Democratic members of Congress represent mm-hmm. parts of that county. I mean, first, I want to I want to ask you about Donald Payne. Uh, sure. He had a he had a uh, an unfortunate incident incident with a with a Zoom camera last week, and and was. Was was in his boxer shorts at a, at a hearing. Has, has has anybody talked to him about that? Has anybody sort of set him straight to know when the camera's on? Well, look, uh, you know, we, you know, there's been Zoom bloopers, uh, you know, throughout, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, this pandemic period that, uh, you know, we've had to rely on uh, on Zoom to conduct uh, our business. Uh, you know, Congressman Payne has, uh, you know, been, uh, you know, a leading voice in Congress, uh, you know, since. Uh, you know, succeeding his father, you know, who we all know, uh, you know, was a result of uh, his father's uh, transitioning. Um, and, um, you know, stuff happens. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, a critical situation as I see it. He has, uh, you know, his record speaks for itself, and that's what we need to be concentrating on, the record, the work, and the man. And, uh, you know, Congressman Payne is a personal friend of mine. Uh, you know, he represents the district that I live in, and, uh, you know, I intend to be, uh, you know, strongly supporting Congressman Payne as we move into, uh, you know, the next uh, congressional election. And and before we before we break, I, I, I want to ask you about Congressman Malinowski. There's been a lot of issues about reporting his uh, his stock trades. Are, are you mm-hmm. are you concerned that that is going to dominate his reelection campaign? Oh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that's what, uh, you know, his opposition, uh, you know, is going to focus on. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, will probably be a, a targeted, uh, you know, a congressional seat. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, have to contend with, you know, particularly when, 
uh, you know, folks don't have anything to talk about critically, you know, when they talk about his record, uh, you know, which has been a solid record. Uh, you know, they have to find, you know, just uh, some hiccups along the way. And, um, you know, that hiccup is one that, uh, you know, will, you know, obviously be dealt with. But, uh, you know, I think in order to, uh, you know, to uh, focus on what's important, uh, that's the record of the man. And his record has been solid. And, and last last question is on, on Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill. And you've played a, a large part in the building of, of her career. Is there... Is there any is there any scenario by which you would agree to a map that might jeopardize her seat? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, Mikey Sherrill is um, you know is the bright and shining star in um, you know the House of Representatives. Mikey Sherrill has uh, you know been you know that uh, you know that leading voice uh, you know in uh, Congress you know as a freshman. Mikey Sherrill has, uh, you know, been bold, she's been daring, she's been different. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, more importantly, she's been good for the 11th Congressional District, and she's been good for New Jersey, she's been good for America. And she's one of just two women out of out of 12 members of Congress from New Jersey. How how important is is narrowing the, the gender balance, not going in, in, in the opposite direction when it comes to drawing a map? That, that's something that, uh, you know, I will, uh, I will not... Uh, you know, moving in the wrong direction. We should be increasing, you know, our, um, you know, our gender diversity, our ethnic diversity. Uh, you know, New Jersey is a very diverse state, uh, you know, and uh, our congressional delegation should, uh, you know, res- respect the diversity of this state and reflect the diversity of this state. And Chairman Leroy Jones, New Jersey Democratic State Chairman, Essex County Democratic Chairman, thank you for, thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, David. You have a great weekend, man. You too. Thank you. And I will be back to talk about some more issues facing New Jersey and a, and a great story about how the lieutenant governor's name wound up on some signs. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back. When you enter New Jersey, either either from New York or Pennsylvania or Delaware, you, you see a giant green sign that says, Welcome to New Jersey. And if, and if you look closely, you'll see two names at the bottom of the sign, Governor Phil Murphy and Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver. And just like everything else in Jersey, there's a great story behind those signs. Uh, until 2010, New Jersey didn't have a lieutenant governor, so the sign just listed the name of the governor. And when a governor took office, the old sign got taken down and it was replaced by the name of the new governor, with the name of the new governor. And it happened every four or eight years, depending upon the circumstances, And unless it was 2001 or 2004 when the governor resigned and a, and a new person filled the remainder of the term. So between 2000 and 2006, there were five versions of the Welcome to New Jersey sign with the, the names of Christy Whitman, Don DeFrancesco, Jim McGreevy, Dick Cody and John Corzine at the bottom. After Chris Christie beat Corzine in 2009, New Jersey needed new Welcome to New Jersey signs. 
2009 was also the first year there was a new lieutenant governor. Uh, so with Christie's win came Kim Guadano. And after Christie took office, the new signs appeared. Welcome to New Jersey, Chris Christie governor, Kim Guadano lieutenant governor. You might think that a big decision like that was made by the newly elected governor, and make no mistake, nothing big happened without Chris Christie's personal knowledge or involvement. So it's fair to assume that Christie made the call to add Guadano's name to the sign. But that's not what happened. The decision to add Lieutenant Governor Guadano was made by some guy in the sign shop, some guy who had just assumed that it was the right way to do it. New Jersey now had a lieutenant governor, so her name goes on the sign. And it wasn't Christie's decision, and he wasn't happy about it. Over time, the friction between Christie and Guadano became commonly known, but there there was Kim Guadano's name on the sign, and it wasn't coming off. And now that's the policy. When Phil Murphy and Sheila Oliver won in 2017, the Welcome to New Jersey sign was switched out, and both of their names appeared. Going forward, it'll be virtually impossible for a governor to remove his or her running mate from the sign. So thank you, Transportation Sign Guy, for making the call. It it went smoothly. There wasn't any controversy, uh, except for for Governor Christie's feelings getting hurt, which which happened fairly easily. Uh, uh, It it wasn't that big a deal. People didn't notice, and I can't help but think that that sometimes maybe some more decisions should be made by the sign guy because that seems to seems to work. This is David Wildson. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Earlier in this show, I talked about the Fairleigh Dickinson University poll on the race for governor, but here's another poll question that, that I found fascinating, not necessarily shocking but interesting. The poll found that one in four New Jerseyans who began working from home after the start of the pandemic have no plans to return to their office in person. Now, this is this is largely a a white collar issue since blue collar workers really don't have a choice about going back to work. But among those who uh, among those polled. who have already left their office, 35% of them have not yet returned. And 27% of them are already back full-time. And and another 28%, well, they're just, they're somewhere in the middle. Uh, Professor Dan Casino, who runs the poll, said that the less educated New Jerseyans were less able to work remotely and and that women were less able, uh, and this is women telling the pollster, women felt they were less able to balance remote work with their demands of the household. Nine percent of New Jerseyans say they lost their job at the start of the pandemic and haven't been able to find work again. And and get this, Democrats are more likely to continue to work from home than Republicans, 67 percent of Democrats and 48 percent of Republicans. And according to the Fairleigh Dickinson poll, the uh, the lived experience of the pandemic has been different for Democrats and Republicans. And Professor Casino says that will help shape their views as it comes to the next election. We'll, we'll all be waiting to see the effect of, 
of the pandemic on the economy, one thing for sure is not a great time to be a, a commercial real estate landlord uh, in New Jersey. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, the Republican candidate for governor, Jack Chitterelli, has pushed back his expected announcement of a running mate. Uh, he, he appeared on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour four days after he won the Republican primary, and he told me that he expected to announce his lieutenant governor pick by the end of June. Uh, that, that is now not going to happen. Uh, Chitterelli is saying that he, he won't announce his running mate for another few weeks. He, he has until July 22nd. Right now, Chitterelli and his team uh, are, are busy reviewing their possible picks. I'm sure they're vetting everybody very carefully. That's the way it's done. Back in 2009, as I said earlier, that was the year that the job of lieutenant governor was created, and John Corzine took a while to make his decision. Uh, for for a little bit, everyone was on the table, and I remember Corzine was seriously considering a man named Randall Pinkett. He's probably not as well-known today as he was in 2009. Pinkett was a a Rhodes Scholar who won The Apprentice in season four, and he spent a year working for Donald Trump's casino in Atlantic City. Corzine gave gave Pinkett a lot of uh, a lot of thought. He he was he was a very real candidate, but eventually he he winnowed the list down to two state senators, Barbara Bono and Loretta Weinberg. He he had pretty much decided to pick Weinberg, but at the last minute, Corzine clearly got spooked out when the U.S. Attorney's Office, formerly uh, led by his Republican opponent, Chris Christie, the U.S. Attorney's Office announced a political corruption thing. Uh, about 29 public officials and political operatives were, were arrested in one day. Uh, I should be clear, there were no allegations at all against Senator Barbara Bono, but she came out of a county where political corruption had been an issue, and as it turned out, would still be. So, Corzine went with Loretta Weinberg, whose reputation and integrity were absolutely solid. Uh, he's lucky he did. I think Weinberg helped him win Bergen County. That kept that general election very close. In in reality, uh, I think voters, very few voters, will, will base their decision on who the lieutenant governor is. So that the key for Chitterelli is to pick someone who's credible, someone who's safe, someone who, who doesn't do him any harm and... And I think that's going to take a, a lot of vetting. Uh, one other thing that I, I want to point out, this is something New Jersey is going to watch, uh, uh, as we look at how the New York City mayor election plays out. Uh, it's sort of a lab experiment for New Jersey lawmakers considering ranked choice voting in elections in New Jersey. If it, if it works smoothly, if ranked choice voting uh, goes off without a hitch, it might get more con- uh, more attention. Uh, if it continues to be controversial, it's going to scare New Jersey off for a while. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.